Corinthians 14. Imagine with me, if you would, uh, one morning, many centuries ago, two builders who were headed off to work. The first walks the twisting streets of the old town and he comes to a little plot of land and he works steadily day by day. He's building a small but a beautiful house just big enough for himself and his family to live in. Inside of that house, everything is magnificent. Around the tiny courtyard, the walls are glistening with marble. The windows and their shutters are friendly and inviting. And the rooms and their furniture and decorations and decor are are, are amazing. But only he and his family are ever going to see inside of it. And to them, it's going to be their palace. The rest of the world could ignore them for all this builder cared. And then you have a second builder. He walks down to the public square of the old ancient town. He takes his place among dozens of others. And they're all working together on a new building that will one day fill one whole side of the square, the public square. Transforming it with a, with a sense of, of space and awe and, and grandeur. The boss speaks eagerly, eagerly to them and he gives them their tasks for the day. This one hauling pillars into position. This one to dress the stones for the upper story. This one to sort tiny colored stones for the mosaics. This one to supervise the making and carving of the, of the, of the great doors. They're not as concerned about the home that they live in. They're building a cathedral. They're building a house of beauty, of awe, and above all, a house where God's prayer, uh, prayer to God and worship would exist. They're building an embassy of God's love and power, and they're inviting everyone who will come to come gladly and humbly into His presence. Two builders, both building beautiful things, both different motives. Israel was spoken to in Haggai chapter 1, and God says through Haggai, thus says the Lord of hosts, this people says the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. He's referring to the physical temple that had been destroyed by the Babylonian Empire. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? God says, the Lord of hosts, God says through Haggai to the people, Consider your ways. You have sown much and you have brought in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. He said, you drink, but you're not filled with drink. He says, you put clothes on, but you're not warm. You earn wages and you put those wages in a bag with holes. The Lord says, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood and build this temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. He said, you look for much, but it came to little. And when you brought it home, God says, I blew it away. And they wondered why. And the Lord of hosts said this, because of my house, my temple that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house. What they were doing was they were building beautiful houses to live in and neglecting the temple of God. Of course, we know today that the temple of God is not this physical walls and building. The temple of God, we're told even in this book of 1 Corinthians, is the church of Jesus Christ. But what a picture of the the Corinthians who had drawn attention to themselves, who had had close attention on their own selfish interest, but not on what God has most dear in His heart, the dwelling place of God among His people, the building up of the church of God. 
Just like Israel of old in Haggai chapter 1, they were concerned about their own personal things, but not concerned about what God treasured, the building up of the church of God. Those two builders in the story to begin with, one was building together using his gifts to, to, to build a, a building that would, that would be a blessing to other people. The other person built a beautiful home. Nothing wrong with that, but just for themselves. And Corinthians were doing much of the same work. Over and over throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, the church of God is described as a building in progress. And even this morning, we're going to use a word that has the idea of building, edification. Imagine a foreman who gives his workers jobs uh, to, to, to do to help build a building and, and materials and tools are given and, and bricks are assigned to each one and he, and, he, and, he, and he lays out what they need to do and he comes back and he finds this guy, he's sitting on the ground and he's playing with his tools. This guy's over here and he's just stacking bricks one on top of the other without any connection and, and disjointed to the building progress. This guy over here, he's taking rocks and his bricks and he's throwing them at the other guy. It would be ridiculous. They would be assigned each particular part and they're sitting on the ground playing with their bricks or throwing them at one another when the job was to use what they had, to use the tools that they had, use the materials that they had to build a specific building for their foreman. And that's what was going on in the Corinthian church. They didn't get it. They missed it. They missed it. That they existed to build up the church of Jesus Christ. And here they were fighting among themselves. Here they were bragging about their tools. Here was this guy sitting on the ground just playing with his tools instead of using them to build up the church. And that's where we come to in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Chapters 11 through 14 form a unit on worship beginning in chapter 11 and verse 2 and all the way through the end of chapter 14. Of course, we're familiar especially with chapter 12 where it laid out the importance of the gifts of Jesus Christ that are given to all believers in different ways and different powers and different workings but are to be used for the building up of the church, he said. Then in chapter 13, we're to see those gifts placed into the cylinder of love and manifested out of those motivations. And then chapter 14, we come to their worship gatherings. In chapter 14, we'll, be, we'll just do verses 1-5 through 5 this morning. And we'll find out that God designed those spiritual gifts to work with love. And they were not designing their spiritual gifts to work with love in accordance with how God made them. Instead, they were using them to build up themselves. Chapter 14, verses 1-5 through 5, is going to tell us very clearly that we're to use our gifts as a vehicle to love one another. That speaking the truth in love is key among the body. And then thirdly, edifying the body is more important than simply only edifying or building up yourself. We spent three Sundays on 1 Corinthians 13. And in verses 1 through 3, we're told that if our service does not have love rooted at the heart of it, is not motivated by love, then it's nothing. That our spiritual life means nothing. And then in verses 4-7, through we're spelled out what this love looks like. And he describes it. He says it's patient, it's kind, it, it, it is not jealous, it does not puff itself up in pride, it does, is not rude, doesn't, doesn't have to have its own way in verse 5, isn't easily provoked, is, is patient, thinks no evil, doesn't assume and judge people's motives. 
unnecessarily. And then verse 6, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Does not rejoice when those who have done harm to you find a punishment or, or find an end to their, to their evil. Doesn't rejoice in the, in the uh, destruction of people. And then we saw last week that the reason love is supreme in verses 1 through 3, and because of how important it is in verses 4 through 7, is that it will continue on in eternity in heaven. And heaven is a society of love. Faith will be sight and will end. Hope will be realized, but love will live on in eternity. Now, in chapter 14 and verse 1, he says, Follow or pursue, chase. After charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather you may prophesy. What he's saying is this. That we are to use our vehicle, our, our love as a vehicle, our, our gifts as a vehicle to love one another. We're to use our gifts as a vehicle to love one another. This morning the title of the message is simply, Gather to Build Lives with Purpose. Build Lives with Purpose. This is why you and I exist. This is why God has saved us. This is why when we were saved, we didn't just die and go to heaven. Because we have a life to live. We were saved to serve. And we are to gather together. And he describes the worship gathering of, of, the, of the Corinthian church. And he makes the point that it is to build up lives with purpose for Jesus Christ. So this morning, first of all, use your gifts as a vehicle to love one another. Sometimes we can look at how God has gifted us and we can make that the end of everything. We can, we can see that as the goal, but the goal is simply to use your gift as a medium, as a gift to love one another. He says, linking chapter 13, he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. In chapter 12, verses 7-11, through 11, he talks about how God has given gifts to each member of Christ's body as He wills, he says, with the, with the idea of for the common good. For the common purpose of building up the church of Jesus Christ. In chapter 12, verses 7-11. through 11. In chapter 13, reflecting on that idea of the common good here of the church, he says that none of them, none of the Corinthians, none of Jesus' church, Paul included, counts for anything, no matter how spiritual they think they are, if they are not manifesting, displaying, practicing specific love. And now he's going to put these things together as and remind them of when they are gathered together in their assembly, the goal of their spiritual zeal and the practice of their gifts should be, of course, again, verse 1, love. Love. And love is expressed in building up the church. So, brothers and sisters, if you are involved in building up the church, you are involved in being encouraged by God's grace, you are involved with chapter 14, verse 1. Following after love and desiring spiritual gifts in order to do that. And brothers and sisters, the opposite is true. If you are not involved in building up Jesus' church, you are not a person who is a person of love. Chapter 14, verse 1. Chapter 13 makes it very clear. And so he's connecting your spiritual zeal with love, which will be expressed in the building up of Jesus' church through the evangelism of the unbelievers and the edifying, the building up of the saints. And so this chapter, chapter 14, 
is, a, is, 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 is not an easy chapter. Um, there are many things in our minds and in our cultural gaps and even in the time gap here between us and the original uh, readers that we have to try to reconstruct in our minds to understand what Paul's intent was as he wrote this here. But there is a very clear purpose in this passage and it is the idea of building up God's church. He says that should happen in verse 1. He says in verses 3 through 5, he continues describing this process of building up the church. You see this again in verse 12. Even so, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. In verse 17, he says, For you verily give thanks well, but the other is not edified. And Paul says there's a problem. If you're exercising spiritual gifts and people are not being built up, there's a problem there. And in verse 26, he says, How is it then, brethren, when you come together, every one of you has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done to edifying or building up. And that theme is developed in this chapter in a couple ways. The first is insisting on a clarity and understanding a clearness and understanding in our worship that it should be understandable. When we gather together, our worship should be understandable and clear. There shouldn't be an unnecessary, uh, obscure language. And then he gives guidelines for order. He gives guidelines for order. So first of all, use your gift as a vehicle to love one another. Verse 1, fall after charity and desire spiritual gifts. Rather that you may prophesy, or especially that you may prophesy. And I wonder if you ever thought about that. What is the gift that God's given me? What are the things that God has stewarded it to me that I'm supposed to be a good steward of? That I'm supposed to manage well for the sake of God's work? That I use those things not to simply build myself up or to exalt myself, but to serve other people and to build up Christ's body. Paul says, use it as a vehicle to love one another. Nothing wrong with spiritual gifts. In fact, he's even going to say in this context here that there was nothing wrong with the concept of tongues in their day, but the idea was how they were using them. So use your gift as a vehicle to love one another. Secondly, look in verse 2 and 3. Paul says, he that speaks in an unknown tongue, and I'm just going to skip the words, the word that's italicized there, unknown. It's not in the original. It's added by the translators, and it just simply reads in the original, for he that speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no man understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he that prophesies speaks to men to edification and exhortation and comfort. What Paul is talking about is, is, a, is a gift that is seen in Acts chapter 2. The gift of tongues. And in Acts chapter 2, that gift was, was used to, to, uh, to speak known languages to people without that person who's speaking them ever having any, any, any human learning process in there, just miraculously able to do it. This in 1 Corinthians 14, and 13 where it's mentioned, and 12 is the only time we'll ever see tongues again. And Paul says that uh, speaking in tongues here is... Is, 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 is below, is a level below prophecy. Prophecy, he says. Because he says in verse 2, when you speak in an unknown tongue, you're speaking not to men, but to God. In other words, the speaking of tongues is, is more of a private thing between that individual and God. But 
the, because he says no man understands them unless there's an interpreter. However, in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. And then verse 3 he says, he that prophesies, the difference with prophecy, and the reason that Paul says, I, I wish that you would rather prophesy, is this in verse 3. He that prophesies speaks to men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Now, there's a lot of questions about this and I've done a lot of study in it and I don't have good clear answers. And apparently a lot of people don't either. But what Paul is saying here is this. This is something that I think I can be very certain about. Prophecy, and sometimes you say it's like our preaching. And it's something like our preaching, but it's not identical with it. Uh, if you look at examples of prophecy in the New Testament, it was, it was, it was an inspired uh, uh, words of God there in the moment. Uh, when the Spirit of God comes upon Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. Zechariah is John the Baptist's father. He then begins to prophesy and give explanation about Jesus Christ. Um, in Acts chapter uh, 2, uh, J- Paul quotes Joel and he says that sons and daughters will prophesy. We're told uh, in the book of Acts later on about a prophet named Agabus who prophesied that, uh, um, that, that, that Paul would be bound in Jerusalem. Then we also see uh, uh, Philip's daughters are called prophetesses. And we've also seen uh, women uh, prophets in 1 Corinthians 11. So I don't know that it would be exactly identical to say that preaching and prophesying is exactly the same thing. I do think there's some similarities there. Prophecy was not the delivery of a carefully prepared sermon, but it was the uttering of words that were directly inspired by God. Some people say, well, these things, do they continue today? And um, I, I like how one of the uh, old Puritans said it. He said, if private revelations agree with Scripture, they are unnecessary. And if they disagree with Scripture, they are false. So, in other words, we have the full canon of Scripture here, and that's enough. That's enough in my uh, estimation here. The theme here of prophecy, as I can see it, is at the very least what it does have in common is speaking the truth of God. Speaking the truth of God. And we have the full truth of God here in His Word. And all the things that we don't know about God, Deuteronomy 29.29 says, He doesn't want us to know. One day we will know. We're told that in 1 Corinthians 13. But we can stand on what we do know, the Word of God. And so if we're going to make application of what this idea of prophecy was, you have to understand that in 1 Corinthians and in the, in the, in the, in the Corinthian church, they weren't sitting in seats here having an open Bible on their lap. They had the Old Testament, but not every church had the Old Testament. Scrolls are extremely expensive. The New Testament was being compiled and built. And here we see one of the letters in the New Testament here. We have the full revelation of God. We can stand on God's Word. The Bible teaches that it is, it is sufficient. It is sufficient. And like that Puritan said, uh, if there's someone who said they have a revelation from God, if it agrees with Scripture, then it's not another revelation, is it? And if it doesn't agree with Scripture, then it's not the revelation of God anyway. So I'm going to stand here on prophecy as simply, simply applying it in our day as Speaking the truth of God in love. I want, I want to develop that a little bit later on, but I want you to understand uh, uh, the, 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 the things in prophecy that are parallels to what I see as our truth today. Now, he says this, the one who speaks in a tongue doesn't speak to men, but to God. He doesn't say that's wrong. 
here in their particular context here, but he's saying that's not building up the church. That's not what the, the purpose of a, of, of a gift is. And, and, and for the building up of the church here, prophesy does a, prophecy does a better job doing that than, than tongues. He says the reason that a tongue doesn't, uh, doesn't speak to men, doesn't build men up, it's only more of a, 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 a speaking to God, is he says no one understands that person. He says later on, it's a little better if you got an interpreter, but still, speaking the very words of God, a prophecy, is more powerful. You're building up men. And then he says this in verse 3. He who prophesies speaks... What? To men. To the church. To what? What does the prophecy accomplish? He lists three things. First of all, to edification... Secondly, to exhortation. Thirdly, to comfort. The theme of edification, as I showed uh, uh, here earlier, is built up in this chapter here. It governs this chapter. You see it in verse 3. You'll see it in verse 4. Verse 5. And then as I shared, verse 12 or 17 and 26. And the idea here is the gift of speaking the words of God results in people being stronger in their faith and walk with Christ. This is something that I traced out all through Scripture. It's interesting as I study this word of edifying here. Paul says to the Ephesian church in Acts 20, he says, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. So what's able to build us up? It's the word of God. He says in Romans chapter 14 and verse 19, in dealing with people with differences that aren't clearly spelled out in Scripture, he says, so we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. In 1 Corinthians 3.9, he has told them, we're God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. So this idea of construction and building God's church, building God's temple, is, 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 comes out again. He says in 1 Corinthians 3.10, he says, Paul, Paul says, I was a, a wise master builder. I laid a foundation. Another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, he says, I encourage one another and to, to, uh, he says, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. And Jude 20, he tells, uh, Jude tells the, the believers, he says, You beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. You might ask yourself, well, okay, that's a theme throughout the New Testament of edifying, of building up. And he says here that prophecy builds up. So how does speaking forth the Word of God in love edify and build up? Well, he tells us the result of it in verse 3. It speaks to men to edification and exhortation and comfort. Three words. Three words here. Three results of speaking the Word of God to one another. Speaking the truth and love to one another. And is this. It upbuilds, it encourages, and provides consolation, provides hope. Was Paul concerned for the church to be built up in the Lord? Very clear he is. Very clear he is. And so the word here for building up, for edification here, means to start to construct something. Start to construct something. Ephesians 2 tells us we're a temple, and each and 1 Peter 2 tells us we're all stones that are being built up into God's house, the household of God. 
The second word that's used there is the word an exhortation. Exhortation. That's a word that is the idea of encouragement. In fact, as I understand it, it's the word that John uses to describe the Holy Spirit as a paraclete, the advocate, the counselor. And it means someone who is called in alongside to assist and support. And then the third word there is comfort, consolation. And it has a picture of whispering truth in someone's ear to encourage them. Helping alleviate fear. Enabling God's people to be calm under pressure. To continue on. Calming storms of fear, anxiety, and despair. Helping us rest in the presence of Jesus. Leading us away from the chaos and the hustle and bustle of life. Away from the restlessness into the great peace of God. You remember what the message that Jesus and, uh, and, and God, God the Father and God the Spirit give the Israelites and then the church over and over throughout Scripture? Do not fear. Do not fear. Do not be discouraged. So what Paul is saying here, at the very least, is this. Is that speaking the very words of God is a means of building up the saints of God, of encouraging and strengthening people and giving them comfort in their distress. Have you ever had anybody speak truths of, of God to you, the Scripture verses or passages or truths they learned from, from the, some of the stories in Scripture that, that, that encouraged your soul when you were going through difficult things? It built you up. Or words of truth that you needed to hear to correct a course that you were on. I know there are people in this congregation right now who, when they were turning away from the Lord, God sent one of His people to knock on their door and say, you're living in sin. And God used, those pe- God used that messenger to turn them back to the Lord and say, you're right. Words of prophecy. Speaking the truths of God. Words of comfort. That's some of the impact that the Word of God can have on each other. And by the way, is Paul just assuming this just comes from the guy who's standing up in the pulpit? He's talking to the body. He wants all of God's people to speak the truth and love to build each other up. It's a credible impact. And no wonder he wants every Christian to desire that specific gift. When believers are gathered together, Paul understands that love says use the gifts that are going to build each other up. Now friends, you may find yourself drawn to other things, interested in doing other things in worship. I understand that. Things that you might find more satisfying or beneficial for yourself. But Paul says you need to stop thinking that way and start thinking what will build others up. What will edify others gathered with me who God has put me in their paths? And then thirdly and finally in verses 4 through 6, edifying the body is more important than only building yourself up. Edifying the body is more important than only building yourself up. 
Speaking the truth in love is key here to the building up of the church. That's why prophecy here, he said, is, is, is such a desirable thing. But now in verses 4 through 6, it's the body that's more important than you and me. He says this He that speaks in a tongue builds himself up, edifies himself. He that prophesies edifies the church. He said, I wish that you all spoke with tongues, but he said, rather, or, or, or even more, that you prophesied. Or greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues, except he interpret, that this church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you, except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? What he's saying is this. You speak in a tongue, Paul says that's not a bad thing in the Corinthian church. But what he says is, there's only one person. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a conversation this way. Okay? But he who prophesies builds up the church. Paul says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. So he wasn't you know, just saying, you guys are, are, were evil for speaking with tongues. Because it's listed as, as, as the gifts in the, in the Corinthian church in chapter 12. But he says, I would rather more that you spoke the very words of God because it builds up many and others. And he says, he who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks with tongues. Unless you have an interpreter, and then some way maybe it can, it can build up the church. So the edifying here of oneself, Paul's saying, is not a bad thing. And friends, we know in our, in our own personal devotions, we need to be in the Word of God, right? So that we can be fountains of the Word of God. We need to know His truth so that it comes out of us when we're squeezed. Uh, so that we can pour out of our, our, our own hearts, our own worship, have an overflow of worship in the lives of others. But it's not the point of gathered worship here. Maybe we can illustrate it like this. Um, where my parents lived in Brooklyn, New York, there's a high school called Lincoln High School. Lincoln High School is known for putting out some of the um, top uh, basketball players for college basketball and even the National Basketball Association. Uh, Stefan Marbury and Delance Stevenson and others uh, who are in the NBA today went to Lincoln High School. They're known for basketball. Their football team's so-so. But they're known for basketball. And, and, and the basketball has become very, very important in the life of that specific school. They've won championships at New York City, which is a big thing because it's kind of the mecca of basketball. And imagine that they have a championship team and halfway through the season it hasn't lost a game. Their basketball team hasn't lost a game. And everyone in the school is thinking about what this team's going to accomplish. They're going to go all the way to the championship. Everybody's talking. They're dreaming about basketball. They're undefeated. And the sport of basketball just is, is all-consuming to the school. And every other activity, including the point of school academics, has been pushed aside by this passion for basketball. And finally, the principal says, something's got to be done here. We're, we're a school first. And school, you learn, you teach, you, you, you learn the, the things in life you need to learn. And, this, and the principal says, gathers an assembly in the gymnasium and says something like this. I'm glad we have a good team. It's wonderful. We're undefeated. I hope we win the championship. Your support of our team is great. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not against basketball here. So I hope you all learn to play basketball. We get more people on the team. But right now, we have to remember why we exist. And we've got to get back to that. 
And that's kind of what Paul is saying to the Corinthians here. He's saying, the exercise of these particular gifts in your assembly isn't the bad thing. What the bad thing is, you're neglecting the point of it all. And the point of it all is to show love. And that love is shown by building up others through it. And we can see this fleshed out in Ephesians chapter 4. And I really feel like Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 through 16 is the idea that Paul's trying to get across in 1 Corinthians 14. So I'd like you to turn there, please. Ephesians chapter 4. Where it says in verse 11, He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He's given these leaders to build up the body of Christ. Verse 13, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we look more and more like Jesus. That we hereafter be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of teaching or doctrine by the slight or trickery of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But, look what he says. Look, look, look how, look how, um, look, look what the key to the body being built up is. But, what? Speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. So speaking the truth in love is the vehicle that God uses to conform us to the image of Christ by lining us up with his word, by providing his strength to obey it. Verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and held together or compacted by that which every joint supplies according to the effective working in the measure of every part makes increase of the body to the edifying of itself in love. Paul is saying here that as we, as we disciple one another, as we evangelize a lost by speaking the truth in love, as we, as we bring our own hearts uh, in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the right living that flows out of it here, Paul says that the church gets stronger, it gets built up, and as more and more people uh, fill in their part in that, then Paul says we look more and more like Jesus. The body joined together, held together by what every joint supplies, every part doing their effective working, maxing out their potential here, increases the body that edifying itself in love. That's what Paul, that's the vision that Paul wanted to see in the Corinthian church, isn't it? From these verses. So it tells us something about our words, doesn't it? Our words matter. Our words matter. Talk is cheap, isn't it? Talk is cheap, and you can say one thing and live one way, but Paul sees our talk and our behavior as lining up together. And he says, when that happens here, your words have power to build people up and to tear people down. So I wondered this week, just as a simple application from 1 Corinthians 4, 
Did your words build people up or did they tear people down? Words that you spoke in your family. Words that maybe you wrote or words that you texted or words that you wrote on social media or you emailed. Did they build people up? Or did it tear down the church of Jesus Christ? Did your words this week build up others or tear them down? Hebrews 10 24 and 25, and again with this, with, with the idea here of the church when it gathers together, says this, consider one another to provoke to love and to good works. Did your words provoke to unlove and not good works? Or did your words provoke to love and to good works? He says, not forsaking assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another daily. You know that word exhorting? Connect it back with what the prophets' ministry did in prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. He expects this of all believers. How did you speak for the words of truth from a pure motive of love to build each other up? Here. How are you involved as a disciple of Jesus Christ, of making disciples of Jesus Christ by speaking the truth of love to others? Imagine what God's church would be like if we did that. But let's do a heart check too. Think about it this way. What would the church be like if everybody used words like you do? Would that be a good thing? Would that be a very bad thing? If everybody in the church used words like you do, would they be talking about people? Or would they be building up people? Would it build the church up in love? Or would God's work be hindered and crumble? Paul makes it very clear. It is the Word of God that builds us up. But that Word of God doesn't just sit in a book, does it? With the cover closed. A word of God gets into your own heart here through your own through your own personal devotions, but also through the speaking of the word of God to one another. And then it's to come out of you as well. It's to reverberate among us and out to the community. Did my words this week build up others or did they tear them down? Words spoken or written? Did I speak words of truth from a pure motive of love to build others up? And what would my church look like if everybody used words like I do? Last night my, my brother uh, sent me an audio text of, uh, of, uh, of, of, of a... It's, it's a joke me and my brother have. So I knew what it meant. My daughter didn't know what it meant. And she took it out of context, my five-year-old daughter. And she was, she was saying it. And to hear it from her words, it wasn't good. But I knew what it meant. And I thought, those words didn't build her up. They actually caused her to go astray. How powerful words are. How powerful our tongues are. 
God desires his church to be built up in love. And 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 1-5, lay out that basis. And we're going to work through the passage here in the upcoming weeks. And on, on the 23rd, we're going to divert a little bit here and, and, uh, and focus on um, uh, the Christmas story. But as you read 1 Corinthians 14, I want you to see that key of edification over and over and over again. You say, but this doesn't sound like my exact circumstances. It sound like my exact context here. May or may not be. The point is, use what God has given you as a vehicle for love by building people up with your words. Let's pray.